many of them are born out of great tribulation and trial where God has drawn very near to the authors and has made His Word uh, vibrantly apparent, has made the truth of His Word uh, a comfort during that time of need. And they oftentimes have such beautiful ways of expressing uh, God's goodness to them through the truth of His Word. And, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you, it's good, isn't it? I, I enjoy having uh, the Bible. I enjoy salvation. And uh, I hope we don't ever get over it. I really do. I hope we don't get over it. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And um, I'm going to deal with a, a subject this morning that... Uh, we seem to preach all around it sometimes and probably assume that the truth of this is known. But uh, I don't know that we do a lot of direct preaching on this particular topic, and that is the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. I, uh, I was listening to a, a, a speaker a number of weeks ago, and... Uh, he made a statement. He's, he's a good man, and, and certainly his ministry is doing great work. I, I don't know that I agree with what he said. Uh, and by the way, understand this, that, that preachers are men. Uh, we're prone to fail. Uh, what we need to do is make sure as we come to the, the time of preaching that we compare everything we hear. I don't care who, who the preacher is. You compare everything you hear with God's Word. Because it's the only thing that's infallible. This preacher that's standing up here today, I'll tell you this right now, is fallible. As well as every preacher that stands behind the pulpit. But the Word of God will never be fallible. And uh, this fellow made this statement. He said, uh, the, the battle for the infallibility uh, of the Word of God uh, was fought and won back in the 70s and 80s. He says, we really don't need to fight that battle anymore. I will, I will tell you this, we do still need to fight that battle. Uh, because it is still apparent that uh, there are people who question the validity. Last Wednesday, uh, we dealt with the issue and the topic of a, a misunderstood verse uh, about the day of the Lord. Uh, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And that there are 89% of people who profess to be saved and to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior... Eighty-nine percent that doubt the creation story and believe in some form of evolution. Uh, that is appalling to me. So for us to stand here today and say that the inerrancy, the infallibility of Scripture is not a battle that needs to be fought today, I think is certainly a misdirected statement. Uh, this book that we hold in our hands, the King James Version of Scripture, has not only been inspired by God, but has been uh, supernaturally preserved without error and without fault and is infallible. And folks, we must have a firm foundation to base our doctrine on. If our doctrine is to be right, we must have a pure word. Uh, there, are, there are men, good, well-intentioned, well-meaning, I believe sincere men, but they are sincerely wrong when they stand in the pulpit with the King James Bible and they read a verse and they say, this word would better be translated, and then they give you a better translation. Can I tell you this, that God has promised to preserve His Word for every generation without error, and that this book has been used historically. Uh, some people say, well, yeah, but the times have changed and language has changed. We need a more modern version. 
God's preservation of His Word has taken place every time that there has been a major change in the world's language. When it went from Hebrew to Greek, there was a translation, or the writings became Greek, and there was even an Old Testament translation of that. God supernaturally preserved it. When there was a translation coming from uh, Greek and Latin and Arabic and uh, and Hebrew to the English language, which was the uh, the language that the world began to speak primarily, there was the supernatural aiding of the translation work along with the uh, credentials and the intellect of the men who were chosen, the godliness of the men who were chosen um, to to do the translation work of our King James Bible. Every other version out there, every other one of them, is corrupted. There are problems with it. They are not a sure word. Now, uh, lest you say, well, nobody can get saved unless it's the King James Version, I do know that they can learn enough truth. Just like a man can get saved by you and I quoting Scripture. And if we miss an A or an and or a the, I'm sure they are still going to be able to get saved. But that does not mean that we were without error. That means we were in error in quoting the passage. If we're going to have accurate and pure doctrine, we must have a pure word where not one word of it is a problem. And so the inerrancy of Scripture is highly, highly important to us. Uh, the preservation without error, the supernatural preservation work of God in the translation work of the King James Bible is absolutely important. It is our sole and only authority of faith and practice. It's what we turn to. And um, if I were to ask for a show of hands today, how many of you believe that this Bible is our sole authority of faith and practice uh, in the King James Bible here that we hold in our hands? I would say most all of us would raise our hand, if not all of us, and say, yes, I agree with that. And yet, in practice, and this is what I want to get to today, in practice, oftentimes, we get to the place where we do not, while in word we may say we believe it, in actions, oftentimes, we reflect that we do not. Because we tend to think that there are certain things that are happening in the world today that the Bible cannot address. How in the world we can have enough faith to believe that God gave us every word of Scripture, He gave it to us without error, and that He preserved it all of these generations without error, that it is infallible, that it, can, it has the truth that God intends for you and I to have, it has all of the revelation that God intends for you and I to have, and then to think that God was limited in His foreknowledge, to not, to not recognize during the time of inspiring these writers that there was going to come a day where society was going to be the way it is today and that he forgot to put something in Scripture. That lends itself to false teachers. That lends itself to this Word of Faith movement where men get up and say, uh, God told me to bring this to you because it's not in the Bible. Can I tell you this? That is absolute heresy. It is vitally important not only for us to believe in the inerrancy, the infallibility, the inspiration and supernatural preservation of our King James Bible, but we must also believe in its all-sufficiency. There is not a problem or an issue of life that this book cannot solve. You say, well, uh, I'll tell you, that they didn't know about global warming back then. We need, to, we need to go to science for our authority. No, no, we just need God's Word. God's Word teaches us that, that the Holy Spirit of God holds this world in preparation for the judgment. 
Rest assured, this world is not going to be destroyed until it's time for God to say it's ready to be destroyed. And even then, when He says it's time, nothing man's going to do is going to stop it. The Bible is fully sufficient in that area. We don't need to go to science to find out about should we, uh, how, do we, how do we treat the environment. God tells us how in His Word. When it comes to lifestyle, uh, these, these gender issues that are going on today, the wickedness of, of this transgender movement, and this wickedness of uh, homosexuality, and this uh, uh, unbelievable ungodliness that's going on in these areas. We don't need other books and other psychologists and other men with PhDs and books written about them to tell us the new morality that our society needs to follow after. This book has the morality we need to follow after. It is fully sufficient. In the day that we live, there are a lot of Christians who will believe in the inerrancy, the infallibility, the preservation, but they will not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. They believe that there are some problems in life this Bible can't solve. I was talking with um, a family several months ago, and I brought, every time I counsel anybody or talk to anybody uh, about some issues or problems that they have, uh, I always tell them up front, look, I don't have the answer. I can't solve anything for you. And I said, I'm going to always approach it from a spiritual standpoint because the only thing that I know that works is the Bible. And so I, while I may not have the answer, I know the Bible does. And I was talking with them. This has been probably four or five months ago now. I was talking with them, and they said, well, we don't believe that every problem can be solved with the Bible. These were Christian folks. These are people who named the name of Christ, who said, we believe that Christ saved us from our sin. And they sat there and said, we don't believe the Bible can solve every problem. And I tell you today that this word is inexhaustible and will solve and has the answers to every problem in life. There is no need for anything other than this book to solve those problems. Now, am I telling you that reading good books... Are a waste of time? No. I'm not saying that there are not some things that books can help us with. I'm just simply saying they're not needed. You can solve the problem fully without them by simply following God's Word. Let's take a look at this, and lest you uh, doubt me on this, let's see what the Bible has to say about it, okay? Because, again, I can give you my opinion about it. Uh, That's really not worth a whole lot. But I would certainly love to know what the mind of God is on it. Let's look in Second uh, Timothy chapter number 3. This know also, in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, let me just stop there for a moment, and I want to just make this mention here. Uh, in, in verse number 1, Paul addresses Timothy. He's writing young Timothy. He's, he, he's towards the end of his ministry. He's already imprisoned. He knows the time of his death is coming near. He is, he's giving his last hurrah to Timothy. He's giving his last um, ounce of wisdom and thoughts and, and direction to Timothy. And he tells him in verse 1 of this, of this chapter, he says, This know also that in the last days 
Perilous times shall come. And, and oftentimes when we as God's people read a phrase like that, our minds immediately go to the, 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 the rapture, the tribulation, the millennial period, and the last days. And we look at that as the last days. But understand that in, time, in the time that Paul was writing this, he was referring to the times from the time of Christ, the time of Calvary, being the last days. Understand that the apostles thought and, and were, were very much so looking for the, the glorious hope and the blessed return of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lifetime. They understood that the, the coming of the Lord Jesus was imminent and it could come at any moment. And by the way, it could have. God has extended grace over 2,000 years now. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know if I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die, can I tell you this? God's grace and God's mercy will not always be extended. Today is the day of salvation. You better take advantage of His mercy and His grace while it's here. We are living in that time. But Paul was referring to the last days being these times after Christ had uh, died and gone to the uh, tomb for three days and was buried for three days and three nights and rose again. And these were now the last days. You say, how do you know that? I mean, we read these things in verse number 2 and following. We can find that, obviously, we could look at our society. Could we not? And say, boy, I'll tell you, it fits that really, really well. Well, we're not past the rapture or the tribulation at this point, so obviously it's during this time period. It's also referring to the time period that Timothy was in, because he tells Timothy in verse number 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. In other words, he was telling Timothy, when you see these people... From such turn away. If he was referring to the times after the rapture, why would he tell Timothy to be careful of these folks and to turn away from them when he sees them? He's referring to these days that we're in now as being the last days. And by the way, they are. He tells them from such turn away. Now, there is a contrast here that's given. He, has, uh, he says in verse number 2, for what's the second word in verse number 2? For what? For What? For men, all right? Keep that word in mind for a minute. Now, look in verse number 6. We're going to continue to read. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led with, away with diverse lusts, ever, what? Learning. And never able to come to the knowledge of the... Why? If they're learning from the Scriptures they would be coming to the knowledge of the truth, would they not? So they are learning here, and this is the implication of the verse, they are learning here from something other than the Holy Scriptures. Because they are ever learning, but they are never able, it's not even possible, for them to come to the knowledge of truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did the, these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. We see three words I want you to note in verse number 9. But they, if you have a pen, you ought to underline that, they. Speaking of who? These men that were found in verse number 2. That's who he's referring to. They. Notice also, they shall proceed no further. For there, and underline there, who's he referring to? The men of verse number 2. There. 
Look also with me. Uh, shall be manifest unto all men as theirs. Again, referring to the men of verse number 2, also was. This is critical. Verse 10. But, it's a contrasting conjunction. There is a contrast being made here. Them and you. A difference between them. One is characterized and laden with sin. Not because they're not learning, but because they're learning from the wrong source. Now, notice what it says here in verse number uh, 10. But thou hast, what's the next word here? Fully known my doctrine. Now, that's a complete opposite of unable to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These, these people are searching. They're learning everything they can. They're putting their effort into trying to know truth. And they're looking in all the wrong places and they're not able to find it. But you, you have fully known my doctrine. Notice what he says here. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. You're learning all of these things. Persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will be the godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You have learned all of these things. Sound doctrine. Manner of life. How should we live? Our purpose, our faith, our long-suffering, our charity, our patience, these are the things we have not only learned, but we fully know them. And verse number 13, he says, and he switches back again, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, these men who are searching for truth in all the wrong places... And trust me this morning when I say this, the Word of Faith movement, this new apostolic reformation movement that's out there, is one of the great deceivers and are full of those that have been greatly deceived. There are those who intentionally know that they are going away from the truth of God's Word, and they are teaching something contrary to God's Word, and in fact they are denying, if you will follow me on this, the sufficiency of God's Word. Because they say, I have a Word from the Lord. He gave it to me to give to you because He forgot to put it in His Word. Can you imagine such arrogance? That somebody would say, God, just it slipped His mind, He forgot, and He has to give an addendum now to meet the criteria of your life? Oh, how wicked. They knowingly deceive, and then they are followed by millions who are being deceived by it. And the Bible refers to them in verse 13 as what kind of men? What kind of men? Evil men. Wait a minute. Aren't these men of God, Pastor? Don't they stand in churches? Don't they handle the Word of God? Yes. But they are... Denying the sufficiency of Scripture. 
And the Bible refers to them as evil men and seducers. He changes back again, and he says in verse number 14, but continue, what's the next word here? What is it? Thou. Okay, so follow me. There are those who are always learning. They're, they're trying to learn, 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 and they're not able to come to the knowledge of the truth because they're learning from the wrong places. There are evil men and seducers that are teaching the wrong doctrine and trying to pass it off as truth. And then there are those who fully know the doctrine, the manner of life. He deals with all of these things regarding our uh, purpose, our faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, all of the things that we as Christians ought to be concerned about. We fully know them. And in verse number uh, uh, 14 he says, But continue thou. It's amazing to me how many people are, are raised in good churches with good Bible-preaching preachers that hold to the Bible and the King James Version of Scripture that teach right that depart from the faith, that are, that are succumbed by these deceivers and these seducers. It's because they have not been well grounded in the Word of God and they don't believe in its sufficiency. They think, boy, there's something missing in my life beyond what I'm getting at church. I've got to go find it somewhere else. Can I tell you, there are several things that are fully sufficient that the Bible teaches of. First of all, His Word is fully sufficient. Secondly, Christ is fully sufficient. And thirdly, the grace that Christ gives is fully sufficient. We used to sing a song years ago when I was a kid, Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All, all I need. And folks, if we ever get to the place where we realize that He is all that we need, that this book contains everything that is needful for us in life, it will go a long way in keeping us from doctrinal error. It will go a long way in keeping us from backsliding, from falling away from the truth, from following after these seducers, these evil men who are waxing worse and worse. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast what learned and hast been assured of, knowing whom thou hast learned them, Okay, now wait a minute. We're getting there. Are you ready? Here it comes. If I had uh, believed in having drums in church, we'd have a drum roll right here. Here we go. And verse number 15. And that from a child thou hast known the word of the Apostle Paul. Is that what your King James Bible says? No, mine neither. What does it say there? Thou hast fully known what? Holy Scriptures. I have fully known the Holy Scriptures. That has allowed me to fully know doctrine. That has allowed me to fully know my manner of life. Can I put it this way? It is fully sufficient for everything in my life. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are, what? Able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You say, well, that's good. It's sufficient for salvation. Well, he doesn't end there. The very next verse, what's the first three-letter word? All Scripture. Not parts of it. That's why we believe every word of it is inspired and preserved without error. 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? How much of it? All of it. All of it is what? It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And with those four things, you have an all-encompassing formula of full sufficiency for every aspect of your life. You say, I don't know if I agree with that, Pastor. Well, again, I wouldn't agree with me either. But I certainly want to agree with Scripture, don't you? He doesn't end there, does he? He finishes by saying this, that the man of God may be what? Sounds like that deals with every aspect of my life. Thoroughly furnished unto most good works, some good works, a few good works. What does it say? All good works. Folks, I, I, I'm, I'm all for fighting for the inerrancy, the infallibility, the supernatural preservation of our King James Bibles. But we must propagate, once again, the full sufficiency of this book in every aspect of our life. There is not an issue or a problem that comes into our society today that this book cannot handle an answer. Not one. We must come back to it. Turn with me to Psalm 19 and we're going to be done. I'm going to take just a, a few moments to show you some of this. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Psalms teaches us that the Word of God is pure. That it is pure. Notice as we get to Psalm 19, I want us to look at verse number 7. And we're going to read down several verses here. Psalm 19. Of course, some of you may know this because uh, years ago somebody put a few of these verses to a, a melody and made a song out of them. By the way, I love Scripture songs, don't you? Uh, they're helpful to us. <coughs> and uh, notice in verse 7, the psalmist writes this, The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. We have inerrancy, infallibility, preservation here. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And by the way, that's always the first step in having enlightenment to understand God's Word. The Holy Spirit of God brings understanding that we did not previously have when we get saved. What? Know ye not that your body... Or, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I quoted the wrong verse here. Uh, um, uh, oh, well, I'm trying to quote the verse now. I had it in my brain and it just popped out. I'm sorry. Um, Oh, but the natural man. There we go. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are what? Spiritually discerned. And so there needs to be salvation that takes place. There needs to be putting our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to bring forgiveness of our sin and to make us a new man on the inside, for His Holy Spirit to come in and indwell us inside. And it gives us light and understanding to understand more of His Word. Now, notice he says, the testimony of the Lord is what? Sure. It's sure. It's solid. It's steadfast. It's true. It's sure. Notice what he says here, making wise the simple. If you don't have wisdom, guess what? The Bible gives it to us, doesn't he? James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. And some of us need it liberally, don't we? Because we are lacking that much. 
and upbraideth not. Why? Because this book is fully sufficient, not only for my salvation, it is fully sufficient in every aspect of my life. If I need wisdom, guess where I get it from? Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock's book on raising children. No. If I, if I need wisdom, guess where I get it from? Zig Ziglar and, and how to live the per Joel Osteen. There we go. Huh? That where I get it from? No. Where do I get it from? I get it from God's Word. I get it from God's Word. Why? Because it is fully sufficient. Look with me in verse number 8. The statutes of the Lord are what? Right. You know what that does for us? It causes our hearts to rejoice. Look what he says here. Rejoicing the what? The heart. You know, there's a great joy in resting in the truth of God's Word. The psalmist, I, I, I said earlier, uh, I think it was in Sunday School, it might have been Wednesday night. Uh, y'all, If you've never done this before, you ought to sit down when you've got about an hour of time. It wouldn't take that long. Surely you can give an hour of your time. And thoughtfully and carefully read Psalm 119 in its entirety. Oh, what a life-changing psalm. The delight that the psalmist has in God's Word, in His statutes, in His law, in His commandments, in His testimonies, in His ways. It's, it's the Psalm 119 that says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is Psalm 119 that says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to Thy Word. With my whole heart have I sought Thee. Why? Because I long, I hunger, and I thirst for righteousness. With my whole heart have I sought Thee. Oh, let me not wander from Thy commandments. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Why? Because it is the delight of our hearts. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Notice this, he says in verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. What's this? Enlightening the eyes? What is that referring to? I went to the eye doctor a few, few months ago. I couldn't see things. If I take my glasses off, everybody's a blur. Put them on, I can see a little better. Is that what I'm referring to? My, my vision is going to get better? Not physically, but it is referring to my spiritual eyesight. My, can we say it this way? My understanding of the truth of God's Word. Enlightening the eyes. It helps me to understand more clearly. You say, well, I don't understand Scripture. What do I do? Read Scripture. <laughs> It'll help you. It'll help you. Notice as we continue to read here, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are what? True and righteous altogether. You think when the Bible says that the Word of God is profitable for instruction in righteousness, that if we want to know what righteousness is all about, the Bible is the source that tells us that. Washington, D.C. does not. Our college campuses and philosophies of this world do not. The local counselor and psychologist in the area that wrote a book that's on New York Times bestseller list does not. The Word of God does. It is fully sufficient. More to be what? Desired. More to be desired are they, verse 10, 
than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant what? Warned. It'll even warn us when we're wrong. And in keeping of them there is what? Great reward. The psalmist ends the psalm after he deals with learning all of these things. He deals with the end of the matter by saying, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. How do we get our hearts, meditations, to be acceptable in the sight of the Lord? How do we get our mouth and the things that come out of it to be acceptable in the sight of the Lord? By reading Scripture. It's interesting to me the transforming work that this book does. We often say, well, when a soul trusts Christ as their Savior and they get saved, God does a transforming, miraculous work, and He does. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. There is a transforming work done. But can I tell you this, that even when we get saved, there is a continued work of transformation taking place every time we come to the pages of this book. You ever been wondering about something or planning on doing something? And uh, I remember... (laughs) I remember years ago somebody did me wrong, and I used to have a pretty big temper on me when I was younger. I did not like when somebody did me wrong. Oh, I didn't like it. And uh, I, I used to have the philosophy that I did not get even, I got ahead. You know, if you did me wrong, I'm going to do more than that to you because I don't want to be owing you still. I want you to be owing me in the matter. And that's the way I felt about it. By the way, uh, that's the way the world thinks about it too, doesn't it? I remember I was I was plotting what I was going to do to get back at this person. That week I was reading in the Beatitudes about for, or in the Sermon on the Mount about forgiveness. And I thought, <laughs> okay, Lord, I guess that put a damper on what I was planning. Then I thought of verses, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And I read verses, recalled verses that came to mind as I read that passages that spoke of the fact that I'm supposed to overcome evil with good. And I'm going to tell you something, it brought some reproof to my heart. I'm thankful it did a transforming work in my life the day I got saved. But I'm thankful it continues to do a transforming work in my life. I've had other times when I've I've been uh, I hate to say it but I've been I've been covetous. I thought, man, I sure would like to have this or that, but that person has too. And well, Lord, why them and not me? You know that kind of mindset. And then the Bible brings us back around to the fact that we're not to be covetous of things. And you know it's amazing how often I come to Scripture and it and it kind of steps on my toes about things I want to do. And I thought, you know, I've been saved for... I was saved when I was 13, so I've been saved 
40, 39 years. 39 years. In fact, 39 years, three days ago, four days ago, the 15th of November. You'd think after that many years of reading Scripture that I would know these things. And I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to keep being retaught them over and over and over again. And it finally dawned on me one day, this book is going to continue to do that work for me until I get to heaven. And I hope it never does stop. Why? Because it is fully sufficient. It is fully sufficient. It will solve my problems. It will always have the answer for them. I may not like the answer, but it always has the answer. It will always guide me and direct me and give me wisdom of decisions and choices I should make. It will always help me to live with my body and my flesh in control so that it is only glorifying and pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ and its actions. It will control my tongue. It will control my thoughts. It will control my actions. It will control my attitude. It will control my affection. It is fully sufficient. Do we need to stand for the inerrancy of Scripture? Yes. Do we need to fight for it? Do we need to stand firm on it? Absolutely. Do we need to fight the battle of the preservation of Scripture in the King James Version? Yes, we do. It's under attack every day. Can I submit to you today that one thing that we have neglected fighting for has been the sufficiency of this Scripture. I hope and pray that we will get to the place where we don't just believe the parts of the Bible that we think are beneficial to us, but that we in truth take it as a whole and say, I believe all of it. Somebody said, I believe this book from cover to cover. He said, I even believe the cover because it says Holy Bible on it. The cover's not inspired, but I will say this every word in there is the cover's not preserved. In fact, I've got one here that's fallen apart somewhere. But everything inside of it is preserved. This cover is not without error. It's got some flaws in it. But everything in it is without error. The cover of this will not meet every need of my life, but what's inside of it will. It is fully sufficient. Why Christians go running to worldly authorities understanding and knowing that they are fallible and say I want that to be the authority for my decision in this area I don't understand that when we have an infallible source here that is fully sufficient to deal with every issue of life every single one of them it is fully sufficient I, I, I am hesitant. I have 
recommended books for people to read before. I read books. Nothing wrong with that. As long as we understand when we come to these books that they are written by men who are fallible. And we do not gauge the truth by the education or the affluence or the number of degrees this man has or this author has. We gauge the truth of what that book has to say by whether or not it agrees with Scripture. And that's the only source that we use to gauge the truth of those. We don't say that because there was a study done or because there are numbers of people in this field who are all in agreement on it, that that is our authority. We don't say that. We say the only way that that Bible contains any type of authority is as so much as it lines up with the authority of God's Word, because that's where the authority comes from. Is it in agreement? This book is fully sufficient. We need look no further. I, I'm appalled. I'm concerned. We're going to be dealing on Wednesday nights, a few more weeks at least, uh, not this Wednesday night, of course, but following uh, Wednesday night and, and probably through the beginning of the year, we're going to be dealing more and more with this issue of the sufficiency of the Bible, the truthfulness of the Bible. Uh, I'm, I'm shocked, I'm shocked at how many Christians... When I read 89% of them doubt the creation story, that means nine, almost nine out of every ten persons that name the name of Christ and say, I'm a Christian, believe in some form of evolution. You look around the room here. We probably have seven or 800 here today, evangelistically speaking. I don't know. We may have 50 here, 40 here. If that statistic held true in this church, that means the vast majority of them doubt the sufficiency of Scripture to explain the origins of the earth. Well, it just, it's just not, it just not detailed enough. It just doesn't have enough facts about it for me. I've got to look somewhere else. I've got to look to science. I've got to look to, to experts in the field. Can I tell you, there is no greater expert than the Holy Spirit of God. And if He's the one that has inspired this book, I'd far rather trust Him. This book says, let God be true, and every man a what? A liar. If they can contradict what God has to say, one of them is lying, and it's not God. It is man. This book is fully sufficient for your life. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. And It's hard to give an invitation on a message like this, because really this is a uh, a reproving message, a message of... Uh, really kind of kind of encouraging and, and strengthening our faith. Uh, but there may be, if we look at if we look into our life